Welcome back to another amazing episode of the MicroConf podcast. I'm your host, Rob Walling, and this is a MicroConf refresh episode where we look back at one of the best MicroConf talks from the past 11 years. Today, we're hearing the audio from Asia Arangio's MicroConf growth talk in 2022 in Minneapolis. Her talk was titled, How to Go to Market Across Many Verticals. It was a highly rated talk from our Minneapolis event. And I hope you not only enjoy the audio of this, but if you want to see a full video of this talk, just look in the show notes and you'll see a link to YouTube where you can see Asia on that amazing stage with her visuals as well. If you want to see talks like this in person and mingle with a couple hundred amazing bootstrapped and mostly bootstrapped SaaS founders, our next MicroConf US is in April of 2023. It's in Denver, Colorado. I'm going to be co-hosting it with Leanna Patch, and it's going to be featuring speakers like Dev Basu and Patrick Campbell with a special appearance from Syed Balki. Head to microconf.com growth to find out the full details and to buy your ticket. And with that, let's dive into how to go to market across many verticals. We are going to talk all about how to go to market, which is why you're ultimately here. And when we think about going to market, especially when you have a SaaS or software that is applicable to many different verticals, segments, I actually think, for the most part, we make this a little bit harder than what it actually needs to be. So my goal here today is to do really two things. I want to clarify and I want to simplify. Because when we clarify and we simplify, then we take action. But first, I actually just want to start with a very quick story. So this is a, a pretty prototypical story. Uh, me and my work, so I run a growth consultancy. We work with SaaS companies all over the world. Uh, one of the number one things we do is troubleshoot growth. And if we're not troubleshooting growth, we are finding new growth and market opportunities for companies. And so this, I would say, is a pretty typical uh, story. But there was a company that we worked with, Digital Asset Management. So uh, uh, it's called a dam which I actually love saying. And this dam is in a particular part of the market where they're not really quite, uh, their whole thing like isn't necessarily to compete with the binders of the world. They really just want to make it really easy to bring assets together, to share links to these assets, and enable teams to be able to acquire those assets and use them in whatever they want to do. What was really interesting was this particular company of course, like they're spread across a bunch of different verticals. They have freemium, they have uh, a demo model, they also have a free trial. And on top of that, they're targeting B2C folks. So they're like targeting designers and people like designers who want to share assets. They're also targeting uh, something like the mid-market. Uh, so like this is like medium-sized businesses. And then finally, they're targeting uh, enterprise. And they're, on the B, like, they're super on the B2B side. And what was really interesting was one of the very first conversations I had with the CEO and the founder was, he was like, Asia, we are spread super thin. Uh, one, I can't hold all of these limes. We've got like three, four people on the team. But also, we're not making enough progress on growth. We're torn between these three very big, fundamental, fundamentally different segments. And then on top of that, the team doesn't really know like, where are we going next? Like, what is the next thing to go and do? Because we're spread across all these different things. And 
of course, there's the, there's the typical list of the, the various uh, marketing tactics and ideas. And it's like the, you know, the, the Evernote list or the, the list in paper or Notion. And it's like 50 different ideas. Uh, and like maybe like a third of them are actually crossed off because we started on doing them. But there's a lot of marketing false starts. There's lots of false starts with growth. Uh, like maybe if we did this, or what if we did this, or what if we did this? It's very, very common. And the, the conversation that I had with the founder uh, pretty much resulted in maybe we just need to like find a niche. We just need to niche and like just like take our whole software and put it over here and just focus entirely on this one particular segment of the market. But the, the conundrum, of course, was well, what market do we focus on and how, how do we eventually go back to expanding? This is a conversation I've had several times with founders before. And the thing about the word niche is that it has a very specific connotation. Uh, I think whenever we say the word niche or niche, whichever one you want, I think what we're actually saying is we really want focus. So when, we want, when, we, when, we're, when we're feeling like we have this pressure to niche, I think what we're really asking for is we just want to feel like we have a focus, especially if our product or our software is widely applicable to many different use cases, verticals, segments. But here's the thing about niche. And I actually was talking about this with April Dunford. Uh, so if you saw her talk yesterday, um, you know, she, she is the, the positioning uh, guru, I would say. Uh, but we were actually talking about this the other day. And the thing about niche is whenever we think about niching, Typically, we think about, okay, we've got our software, and we just need to take one vertical and say, this is now that's, that software for that one vertical. So examples uh, are typically CRM for law firms, for example. So CRM, widely applicable, broadly applicable software category. But what if you took that and crunched it down into, it's just for law firms? Another example, uh, inventory management for coffee roasters or vacation rental software for short-term rental companies. So typically, whenever we think about niching, we think about, OK, great, we've got this like, broadly applicable thing. Let's just like, shove it into a category or shove it into a vertical. And here's the thing. That is not a bad strategy. That's like, not what I'm here to tell you to, to, um, to abandon. But if you've been feeling the pressure to niche, if you've been feeling like, OK, I want to go to market across many different verticals. I just don't really know how. How do we actually do that? I would argue you really actually need focus. You don't actually need to niche, unless, of course, that aligns with you and your goals. So what does focusing look like? Focusing is really just, OK, we have this widely applicable uh, software. And it, it, can, it can be used, really, in like tons of verticals. And maybe there's actually only five verticals it would be applied to. What's really cool about focus is you get to ultimately fundamentally decide you get to be selective. You get to choose uh, based, of course, on a few factors. But focusing basically says, OK, what if we've got this Dunning platform, and there's really just key parts of the market that we're going to be focused on. And it's going to be uh, direct to consumer. It's going to be B2B, and uh, likely subscription-based companies within those categories. SaaS, of course, applies to this. But these are our market segments. These are the places that we want to go and play. Uh, another example would be like digital signage. But we're going to focus specifically on manufacturing companies uh, and retail companies that are enterprise. 
And yes, like you could technically use digital signage in pretty much any kind of company. Uh, it's widely applicable to many different verticals. But here's the thing about focus. We get to choose. We get to fundamentally say, you know what, we're not necessarily going to double down on this one thing forever. However, we do have these particular market segments that we would like to uh, spend time in. I think the one thing I want to just impart, if you take nothing else away from this talk, it is that a niche can and will give you focus. Focus is, is really a, a broader concept. Uh, having a niche, that's absolutely going to give you focus. If you're a CRM for law firms, you're probably going to focus on law firms. Uh, if a marketing agency comes along and is like, hey, I think your CRM is really cool. It'd be really cool if like, we could use your CRM. You're probably going to be like, yeah, like, that's awesome. Uh, but we're really designed for law firms. If you would like to use it, great, but you're probably not going to get the value that you would need because, hey, we're kind of focused on law firms. So a niche will certainly give you focus. It kind of gives you a place to play. And I think that that's still a very, uh, an extremely valid strategy. Uh, however, if you're kind of feeling like, okay, but I don't really want a niche, so how do I focus? There's a couple of ways to think about it. Again, a niche can certainly give you focus, but... Uh, you can focus without necessarily niching. And this is, the, I think, the one thing I want to take away, want you all to take away from today. Another way to think about this, though, is sure, like a niche can give you focus, but other things can give you focus too. An incredible strategy and a really great process for actually operating. So the actual execution work of focusing, and then also where, where are we going to best play where we think we are going to win, which is the basis of strategy. So I'm kind of talking about this, you know, in, in more or less intangible terms. So I want to make this a little bit more concrete. Here's a great example of a company that does focus really well, extremely well. So most of us are familiar with Segment, if I'm not mistaken, uh, especially if we are in the tech space. But one thing that's really interesting about Segment is they definitely didn't start out the gate targeting all these different uh, verticals, et cetera. Um, they really started focusing on just one part of the market, and it was engineer, engineering and tech, uh, people who managed and cared about data. And they also primarily looked mid-market to enterprise, and they, that's where they started. Uh, but what's kind of cool, though, is they're a customer data platform. They are targeting retail. Actually, there's like a big list that they have here, but they have retail, uh, marketplaces, media, B2B, all kinds of different segments and verticals. They also support both startup and enterprise. But they didn't start this way. Again, they, they started focusing primarily on uh, the engineering community and also even more specifically, uh, at first, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it was startups, and then later they went up market. And then as they grew, they added these verticals over time. It wasn't like a, they came out the gate and they were like, hey, let's do the thing. So that's a big company. What about a smaller company? So uh, this is actually a company that I had the pleasure of working with. Uh, they are an influencer marketing reporting platform. So if you run influencer marketing campaigns and you have challenges reporting on the success of those campaigns, you can use InfluenceKit. But InfluenceKit has really three specific targets that they're looking at at any given time. And actually, a lot of the work that we did was helping them stand up one particular part of that market, one particular vertical, and uh, helping them ultimately achieve focus. They are working with brands, they also work with agencies, and then they also work with the influencers themselves. But our core work was really saying, okay, uh, you're already kind of in a niche, technically, uh, but really the ultimate goal is to, okay, but where do we focus? Where do we put all of our energy? And how do we ultimately expand into different verticals over time? 
In terms of the brands that they target, so strategically speaking, brands are the very first thing, of course. Uh, it's the ultimate revenue driver. And from there, it really became all about, okay, what are the different verticals and industries that this ultimately applies to? And we ended up with a very short list, and then we uh, really picked one, and we moved from there. Focusing your go-to-market is actually really simple. So I said one of the things I want to do today is to simplify, because this process actually doesn't have to be super hard. But I feel like we kind of make it hard because like, we get a little scared. Uh, but really, we just need a couple of things in order to focus. We ultimately need to understand the overall global jobs to be done of our customer base. So whether you have 100 customers or 2,000 customers, it doesn't really matter. There's likely one particular job, possibly two jobs, that your customer is ultimately hiring your solution for and firing an old solution for. That solution could be an actual software, could also just be behavior. But what is the overall reason why they're hiring, regardless of what segment they are part of? Doesn't matter if they are in retail, healthcare, doesn't matter if you're a B2B, B2C, doesn't, uh, like what is the ultimate job that they are hiring this product for despite their customer segment? That's the key. Second, we ultimately need to come away with clearly defined customer segments. The really cool thing about jobs work is once you understand the job of your customer base, from there, you can then actually identify, okay, great, out of this job that our product is currently working or servicing, uh, what are all the segments now that cater to that job? What are the segments that care about that? And then finally, you guys need a process that your team is ultimately going to follow and stay relatively disciplined in. Uh, bright, shiny object syndrome can be a company killer, especially in the early days. Uh, but when we think about going to market across many different verticals, if we have a process that we feel really good about and the team can ultimately execute against, then expanding into new markets and verticals over time, it gets easier, uh, and ultimately the team feels a lot more prepared to do this. And then finally, uh, it just gives you guys confidence that when you're ready to expand and to grow, you ultimately can. Okay, so you're probably wondering, uh, right, this sounds awesome, Asia, but like, how do I do the thing? How do I know who to focus on? Where do we start? And the focus framework is actually very, very simple here. So if you're thinking about, okay, if I think about my customer base, I've got maybe hundreds if not thousands of customers, what, like there's maybe like five or maybe even 10 different segments or verticals within that, how do I actually know who to go after? The first is we're gonna look at who ultimately has the greatest market opportunity, especially after knowing what the ultimate fundamental job is. We call this TAM or Total Addressable Market. Uh, in the software SaaS space, but if you don't have like a very clear TAM, and honestly, I think the process here is, uh, there are some founders who will say, I just made it up, uh, and there are some founders who actually, you know, like they really trust their TAM. Um, sometimes we call this TAM, but I think really the ultimate gist of this is, what fundamentally has the greatest market opportunity? There's the most customers here, the most people that you can ultimately uh, acquire. Next, we really want the strongest product market fit. So once we identify, okay, great, this is our strongest market opportunity, uh, who ultimately is going to have the greatest product market fit within that? And then finally, they need to be people that you actually like to support, both from a customer support perspective and also from a go-to-market and just like acquisition perspective. Uh, it's something that you guys might have expertise in. It's also something that the support team or the customer success team, they actually like. <laughs> uh, you probably, you might not necessarily want to go to market to a vertical or segment that everyone despises. Uh, don't do that to yourself or your team. 
However, you know, you might, you might decide that's, you know, there's trade-offs, of course, here. But ideally, these are people you guys like to support. You like these people. You want to see more of them. So I want to give you a really quick example of how this process applies to thinking about uh, finding those top verticals and segments. So there is an inventory management uh, platform specifically for Etsy-made sellers. Uh, before, there were very, uh, very clear segments within this product. Um, there's handmade sellers on Etsy, there's handmade sales on Shopify, there's also larger manufacturing companies that potentially could use this inventory management platform, but it's a little bit less of a fit. If we were to think about our base, and if we were to think about, okay, who has the ultimate best product market fit, who has the, uh, the greatest market opportunity, we could probably scratch off a couple of things. Um, for this particular company, it's, okay, well, we know that most of our base is not necessarily uh, on the Shopify side, so we can cross that out. Um, larger manufacturers, we don't necessarily have the strongest product market fit. However, the first one, it fits all of those requirements. It's the largest market opportunity that we have, strongest product market fit, and also we love supporting these people. Um, so right off the bat, we went from three different segments in a market to actually we're probably just going to focus on one. But here's the caveat. We're not going to say no to these others forever. It's just no right now. That's the beauty of focus, is we're basically going to say, okay, we're going to go to market on these folks first, and then when we're ready to expand, we will. We can take this process even further. So if you think about, okay, well, the handmade sellers on Etsy, that's actually a pretty big category. We can, we can segment even further. Uh, in this particular case, we drilled down into these three. So these are the three that um, we might ultimately end up be focused on based off of, again, those previous three requirements. So when you think about your customer base, and when you think about your ultimate, uh, like your product, your business, the one question I wanna ask you this is like a little thinking moment here, uh, but does the context of your customer segment fundamentally change how they buy? So does the context of the customer segment change how they buy? I'm gonna give you an example. Let's say I am a commission tracking platform, commission tracking software, and my commission tracking software can be applied to three pretty different categories. I might uh, use this commission tracking software on my commercial real estate companies. I could use it on, uh, let's say, startups for sales teams. And then I could also use it for, let's say, a really random use case inside of healthcare. Uh, each of those categories have fundamentally different procurement processes, buying processes, requirements, and needs. So the, the context of each of those segments have fundamentally changed how they buy. A startup, a founder, is probably going to uh, sign up for a free trial and kind of tool around a little bit. Uh, the healthcare company, they might have a whole procurement department that focuses entirely on finding and searching for software uh, that solves this problem, that solves this need. And then uh, the, the commercial real estate uh, companies, I might have to actually get on the phone with those folks because they're literally never at their desks. Uh, and it's, you know, it's hard to get a broker on the phone. Um, but this is the kind of thinking around the segments and verticals that we are targeting today is what is the ultimate fundamental context that they are buying in? And does that change whenever we shift our view of our segment? So if you're kind of like, all right, well, 
based off of the segments and verticals that we have today, the context doesn't really change. Maybe you're targeting enterprise B2B, uh, and they're, like, the procurement process is pretty much the same no matter where you go. Um, okay, so if no, then really your number one goal here is to continue focusing on an incredible customer experience. However, if the answer is yes, if you are kind of like, okay, my segments, they do fundamentally change uh, the context, like the context upon which customers buy based on their segment, it does change. What do we do? This is where you are actually going to focus your go-to-market efforts really on one segment at a time, and again, still adhering to that focus framework. So we're really gonna do our best not to stray too far out of those requirements. But what we are going to do is we're actually now going to simplify the process of how we go to market. Okay, so this is the slide that you guys are waiting for. Like, how do we actually do the thing? <laughs> uh, going to market across many different verticals, it really does not have to be, um, uh, it, it's, it's not rocket science. And I, and I say that very tongue-in-cheek um, because there's probably a rocket science company out there like in the audience today. <laughs> but the very first thing is we ultimately need to focus on one segment at a time for at least six months. And I say six months, because a lot of us have the false starts. We run a campaign for two weeks or we, we try sending emails to someone for like a week or so and then it doesn't work or we don't know what like the right message is and then we kind of give up and we move on. But what we find, especially in our work, especially in marketing and going to market, is the audience always moves a lot slower than the marketing never fails. So it takes about six months. And I would say there are some of you out there who will uh, apply this approach and you'll probably see results very, very fast. But just be thinking at least six months living within a particular segment or vertical. After that, we want to ultimately center our go-to-market activity around that particular segment or vertical. And when I say go-to-market activity, I mean there's a, there's a very quick list of things here. This is uh, ideally um, your sales cadences the website, so there are probably going to be pages that you build for this particular segment or vertical. There's going to be campaigns, ads that you likely run if, if ads are part of your growth strategy. Uh, there's also likely going to be um, some prioritizing of the product roadmap. And then, of course, there's all kinds of different like sales enablement content you might need to create. Really, of course, depends on the vertical or segment that you're targeting. But what's important here is the go-to-market activity around that segment ultimately needs to be centered around and focused on who you're targeting. After that, we are then going to demonstrate credibility, and this is much more, um, this is definitely more applicable to like enterprise B2B. Uh, however, even when you look at B2C, establishing credibility, especially in a relatively new segment or vertical, um, really, this is like, it's pretty easy. I mean, it's, it's customer testimonials, it's case studies. It also could be, maybe you are speaking at certain conferences. Maybe you're also um, establishing credibility in other ways that's very visible to that particular segment or audience. And then finally, um, after you go through this process, and again, we're living with this for, you know, it's not just like two weeks, it's gonna be like a six month process. For some of you, it might actually be years, especially if you are targeting, again, that B2B enterprise side. Um, but after going through this process, we then get the engine going. If it doesn't work, we of course iterate, uh, but then after that, we, re we repeat, we do it again. There's a couple of caveats here. Uh, the first is a lot of this is going to fundamentally depend on the size of your go-to-market team. 
So the more verticals that you add, ideally, the more support that you have on the marketing, sales, customer success, et cetera side. However, if the goal is not to build like a big giant team, that's okay. You can actually still use this process. It just, what it's gonna look like is you might not continue to run those campaigns after you get the engine going. You might decide to move on for a while to something else. Uh, of course, it, it, it really, I hate to say it depends like a typical marketer, but it does kind of depend. It really depends on your situation and ultimately what you want to accomplish in this process. One thing again to remember is the market is always going to move slower than your marketing. It takes, what, I think like an hour these days to set up a Google Ads account and to start running your very first Google Ads campaign. Uh, but it's probably going to take the market a little bit longer to catch up. So it's really important that you actually give yourselves enough time to, to make momentum and to see the result at the end of the day. So if you're kind of like, okay, but like, that seems really easy, Asia, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure if I believe all of this. Why is it that easy? I promise you it really is that easy. Uh, the reason why we do it this way, there's a couple of reasons. First, if we try to go to market across many different verticals all at once, a couple of things happen. The team uh, is spread too thin, and the story that I told earlier kind of happens all over again. Now we don't really know where to focus. We're not really sure like what to do next. It's not really clear because you know Susie's over here like running campaigns for e-commerce, but then Gary is over here like doing a whole other thing, and doesn't seem like we're all like moving in the same direction. So we do we take this approach one segment at a time, building things as we go, instead of trying to do everything all at once purely because we, don't just, we just don't want to spread ourselves too thin. We don't want to risk the burnout of trying all these different things across all these different segments and verticals and then not getting the result that we want to see. The second reason why we do this is because one thing that you're going to find is as you go to market across many different verticals and across many different segments over time, you're going to notice that your customer base is going to not only expand but also change you're gonna start seeing different kinds of customers. You're gonna start seeing different kinds of jobs to be done and needs. And what's really important about this process is by going one segment at a time, uh, you actually allow yourself to remain open to new customer opportunities. Uh, one thing you don't necessarily want to do is say, okay, these are our three segments forever. Uh, it's a little bit risky. And there are some you know, who can do that and um, they're very successful with it. But what I would recommend based off of what we've seen is as you go through this process, you might find that there's actually another segment that pops up that has uh, incredible product market fit, a great market opportunity, and taking this approach allows you to be open and flexible to that happening. And then of course, if it doesn't happen, you stay the course and you, uh, you continue your existing strategy. And then finally, the, the other reason why we approach it this way is we wanna make sure that we're building a go-to-market team that can ultimately stay flexible and also is the right team, uh, especially if we're not sure if certain segments are going to pan out. So this is the other reason why we take this approach. But I promise you, it is actually, uh, it can actually be very simple. The hardest part really is just getting the focus and then committing to it and being disciplined. So I wanted to use a real life example as we, as we close out today. Um, this is a company that I feel like most of us are probably familiar with, we're probably like all familiar with ProfitWell. Um, I do not work with or for ProfitWell in any capacity. I'm actually really just taking a look at their website and I'm, I'm making my best guess based off of what I've seen on their social, what I'm seeing on their blog. 
but ProfitWell and also Price Intelligently, this is, um, how would you say, I guess like subscription, subscription metrics platform. I'm actually not sure what the exact category is. But ProfitWell is very interesting because most of us probably know them as B2B, SaaS, um, actually maybe not even B2B. Maybe it's actually just SaaS uh, subscription metrics platform. Uh, but what's been really cool to see is ProfitWell is actually expanding not just from SaaS, but they're actually expanding into new categories as we speak. Uh, and this has been, I would say, like a one to two year long process that I've been observing this. Uh, and it's been, it's been interesting because I think a lot of us might have seen maybe some content coming out of them. A lot of us might not have actually seen this. But they're starting to expand into D2C, which is very interesting because there's uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, an applicable use case, but in a pretty different vertical, but there's some similarities. So what ProfitWell's doing is they're starting to expand their website. So they're creating landing pages for this particular vertical and segment. Uh, they're also creating content specifically for this vertical or segment. It's really interesting because when you look at their SaaS content or their SaaS-focused content, there's a lot of like written articles. Uh, they, ha they have, I think, a podcast. And I think they also have like a video um, channel as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but for their D2C customers, it's really clear they're really going hard uh, specifically on uh, rich media because when I think about D2C, it kind of makes sense. It's a, it's a medium that this audience is more likely to engage with. But they're not just stopping there. Uh, they are, of course, creating landing pages specific to this particular vertical as they expand into it. And then finally, they have restructured their website a little bit as well. So in this dropdown, um, for those who are in the back and probably can't see, uh, they have the B2B subscription landing page, the B2C subscription landing page, which is their D2C version. They also, of course, have uh, e-commerce and media. So these are their different verticals that they are ultimately targeting. But it seems like, from just from what I can see on social, uh, and I'm not getting like any of their emails or anything on the D2C side, but it kind of seems like this year for them has been focused on expanding into this particular market, which has been really cool to see because I think it's a great example. One thing to keep in mind, though, is as they are expanding into this different uh, segment, they haven't really changed their website, uh, or their homepage, I should say. The homepage is still focused on that core value prop. If I were to kind of take a step back and guess like what the jobs to be done would be for ProfitWell, it's probably when I can't measure the performance and success of my business, give me a platform that does exactly that so I can confidently grow my subscription-based business. But what's cool about that job is it doesn't really matter if you're SaaS or if you're D2C or whatever vertical. If you have that problem, then you're probably going to evaluate profit well in your specific context or your specific lens. So they didn't like overhaul the homepage and like say, okay, we're gonna double down on D2C like on the homepage. They really just created other assets to make sure that customers had those things available to them to make the best decision. And I think the other thing too to keep in mind here is that uh, they, they didn't ultimately alienate their original SaaS audience. Do we all really care if ProfitWell expands into D2C? Probably not. Your customers probably also don't care if you expand into another vertical. Uh, and, and if you have really strong positioning and messaging on your homepage, you're probably going to attract the various verticals and segments that you want anyway, which is the magic of, of not only great marketing, but thinking about expansion from a go-to-market perspective. All right, so real quick recap on going to market across many different verticals. We're going to identify those top one to three segments. We're going to go to market one segment at a time. And then we're going to iterate and we're going to expand. 
if we like these new segments and verticals, if we are successful with them, uh, then it's either we continue to focus and grow them or we move on, either one. Uh, no wrong answer here. Ultimately, really depends, again, on your product, your goals, and what you want to do. All right, that is everything for me. This slide did not load the way it was intended to load, but I'm going to prayer emoji anyway. <laughs> and thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Asia. That was awesome. Do we have some questions? Thanks, that was a really amazing talk. As founders, what indicators should we be looking for to kind of help us differentiate between whether something is actually a good potential market segment for us to target and when we're having shiny object syndrome? Ooh, yes, that's such a great question. Okay, so the question was, um, what are the indicators that it's an actual viable segment versus a bright, shiny object? Great question. And really, I think it's ultimately, uh, what if I don't know what the top segments are? Or like, what if, what if that's unclear? Um, okay. There's a couple ways to think about this. Uh, the first way is when you go through your, uh, assuming that you, you already have customers, when you go through your existing customer base, uh, usually signals for market segments are already there. If you don't have signals in your existing customer base and you are, uh, this is an entirely new part of the market, you don't have any customers in that space, you're actually going to go through what we call customer discovery. You're going to go through the customer discovery process. And one of my absolute favorite books is, that I recommend all the time is Lean Product Playbook. And there's actually a whole entire part of this book where he describes, the author describes the process of, okay, well, what if I don't know if this segment is viable? Um, what are the questions I need to ask? What are, like, what does the interview process look like? How do I actually get that information? That's one way that you can approach understanding if this segment uh, is going to be viable for you or not, um, or it's just a bright, shiny object. I think the other thing, though, is if it's truly, so the second way I think about this is, if it's truly a market opportunity, uh, it's unless like there's some market force that happens that is unpredictable, cough, COVID, um, then there's probably, like that market's probably still gonna be there when like, after you kind of double down on whatever top customer segment you already have. So if it's something that can wait for a minute, awesome. Uh, keep that in your back pocket, and when you go through the process of, okay, we're ready for expansion, um, that segment can be in that list, and, and you can reevaluate it then as well. Um, but what we don't want to do is, what we, we don't want to fundamentally reshift our priorities strategically unless we absolutely have to. Uh, and, and the market opportunity on the other side of that has to be pretty dang great for you to, you know, kind of shift the point to ship in a different direction. But that's how I would think about that. Hi, Asia. Thanks for the presentation. So sometimes six months, you mentioned the process six months. Uh, sometimes it's a lot of time for, for startups like life or death. Uh, what level of activity is expected in those six months to prove the, the segment? And can it be accelerated somehow? Yeah. Such a great question. Um, so here's the thing. I think if we don't know if it's a viable segment, then we kind of have to go through the process anyway of validating it, right? Um, but if we're pretty sure it's a valid segment, I think the question I would ask actually back would be, would you rather spend three to six months really committing to something to know that the next two to five years would be set? 
or would you rather continue to kind of like jump in a bunch of different places? And that's kind of the way that I think about it. Uh, yes, there is a little bit of a, um, there is certainly risk here, but I think if we're thinking about mitigating risk, then the best way to do that is to go through this discovery and development phase. And uh, that's how I would think about kind of minimizing that. Then spending five to six months probably doesn't feel as bad if you're pretty confident in it. But you asked about acceleration, which I think is interesting. At the end of the day, it's going to depend on your market. It's going to depend on the segment. Uh, if we're thinking about accelerating B2B enterprise sales, um, there's only so many things that we can do up to a point. At the same exact time, however, depending on that market segment, you might find that it is actually possible to accelerate. And in terms of like, what is the list of things to do, uh, I mean, we're at the very bare minimum. We're expanding our website. We're running campaigns, and I'll, you know, I'll let you decide to what degree do we run those campaigns, because uh, if you have the budget and the time to go all out, um, that could be a way that you accelerate it. Uh, but at the very bare minimum, that's it. And then on top of that, what's our talk track? What's the message that we put out to those people? What's the experience that we need to provide those people to best maximize? Uh, and that's going to depend on your product, whether you have a demo model or a free trial model, whether you have email onboarding. I mean, you've got to think about every single touch point of the customer experience. Um, that, I would say, would honestly be the bare minimum. I think anything that's else that's left on the table is really another opportunity to improve conversion. Any other questions? Great talk. Um, I was wondering if, if the use of pricing to separate verticals ever makes sense, or it's kind of standard pricing across all the verticals. Yeah. Ooh, good question. So typically, what we see is um, typically what we see is based off of the segment or vertical. Uh, ideally, your model doesn't have to fundamentally change unless you're going up market and now you got to figure out like enterprise pricing. That's that's usually what we see. Um, Ideally, though, your, your model doesn't have to totally break and get you know, rebuilt. It's, it's rare that we've seen that. Um, what we usually see, though, is, again, unless the market context, unless it fundamentally changes how someone buys, you probably don't have to totally dramatic change, you know, change the pricing. I will say what, what is confusing from a customer experience is seeing that there's pricing for one particular segment, and then they kind of like wander off into another part of the website, and then they see pricing for a di different segment. They're kind of like, wait a minute. So that's, that's kind of a, uh, it's like a, it's a tough situation to, to navigate, but generally I would say simplify it. If, you, if that uh, segment or vertical is truly aligned, you probably don't have to break apart your whole model and like rebuild it. Again, unless you're going like enterprise, and then you kind of do, because <laughs> that's just the way enterprise works sometimes. Thanks so much, Asia.